Hello and welcome to Switch It, where our conversation might be infectious, but the biosecurity protocols are impeccable. None of us are in the same postcode for a start, but there's still plenty of seasonal goodwill to go around. Unlike England's tour of South Africa, which was curtailed a few days ago and seems to be souring more quickly than a glass of leftover eggnog. To pick through the nitpicking and count the costs of COVID, I'm joined by a couple of cheery little helpers in Andrew Miller and Ferdos Munda. No prizes for guessing who's naughty and who's nice. How's it? Hope you're both well before we start the mud flinging. I'm ready to fling the mud. Festive cheer in uh, East London, Miller? Yeah, East, East London is very cheery. The Christmas tree is up. I don't know about East London in South Africa. I'll refer those to to clarify that one. But uh, but no, all, all very all very festive up here. Thank you very much. Can't complain. Uh, good. Um, Ferdos, this is of course the perfect start to your summer. Uh, yet yet another circle of CSA administrative hell to negotiate. Why don't you start by filling us in um, on what the interim chairman of the board has been saying this morning? Before that, I just want to say that East London in South Africa is part of a COVID hotspot and they're among the provinces that have the strictest restrictions in the country. So not all as well. Um, but apart from that, summer is like here. Henderson will vindicated, I'm sure. Oh, Do we have to go back there? Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so summer is here, but cricket is not. And we're seeing quite a lot of defensive noise coming out of Cricket South Africa's interim chairman, Zach Yacoub. So that's the former constitutional court judge who has really come out swinging saying that South Africa did absolutely everything they could to make the environment biosecure for the England tour. And that in fact, it was England who were quite lax, who wanted certain, I suppose, laxities allowed and that they wanted to play golf and they played golf a lot at various different golf courses. So we know of at least three that we've mentioned in the stories we've been writing and there could be others. And South Africa really had to do this because they desperately needed the England tour to happen. The English players had come from a summer of bubbles and an IPL of bubble as well. So there was understandable fatigue and South Africa did what they could to make sure the tour would happen. In the process, I suppose they've they've caused certain lapses to take place in that, you know, the golf courses are attended by members of the public. And although the players were using separate entrances, you can imagine all sorts of things that may have happened. They were not going to the pro shops and they were not stopping at the halfway house. So I suppose you know that was as much as South Africa think they could have done. I think what's slightly problematic is that the interim chair, respected as he is, is only really going to be there at a minimum for three months, at a maximum probably around six. And he's really said some interesting things about the, the power of the big three. He's talked about political interests from Australia and India. And these are going to be difficult things for, for CSA to handle in the future. You know, Graham Smith is now left with the problem where perhaps this interim chair has really rubbed some really big guys up the wrong way. So I don't see how this is going to bode well for the coming summer, especially as Australia have already indicated they may not come at all. And we're waiting on Sri Lanka. Uh, the good news is South Africa are going to Pakistan. <laughs> yes, well, that is um, a historic and, and cheery announcement that we can all get behind. Um, just to go through the timeline of the last week or so, obviously we we managed the T20s, we, we were about to start the, the one-day series, and then um, Miller had all sort of kicked off. We had uh, a, a delayed first ODI uh, in Cape Town on Friday, the same thing happened again in Pal on Sunday, and then came... Uh, the, 
news of positive tests in the England camp as well, although they were subsequently found to be false positives. Um, and the whole tour was called off uh, at, at the start of the week. Um, England had been very vocal over the last sort of six months or so about mental health, uh, players' well-being, that sort of thing. So in, in that light, perhaps the decision wasn't a surprising one. But, I mean, given that those those tests uh, in the camp, the two positives, uh, came back negative after that analysis and there were still a couple of days left of the tour, they're on the, the flight home now. But uh, do you think that ECB would be just a little bit regretful about how quickly they acted? I think they will, to be perfectly honest. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting, all the different arguments that have been thrown up about cricket over the course of the pandemic. One of the main ones, certainly one I was using in this country when I was grumbling about uh, club cricket not being allowed to be played, you're outdoors. Where's the best place you want to be? If there's a pandemic going on, what's the best thing to be doing, frankly, is being outdoors, doing exercise, generally not being cooped up in a hotel, breathing the same contaminated fumes and just generally living in a goldfish bowl. Um, I think England would be far too quick to to kind of forget the the very things that have... um, the, the the very arguments that they were putting forward this summer to try and get back uh, get their show back on the road um, and you know as, as for Ferdo's point about CSA saying awkward things at public I, frankly I don't I don't think actually it's a bad time for these nations to actually throw a bit of dirt around because let's face it again going back to the summer the one thing the one abiding thing we realised from the summer was that the big three need favours from the little guys at the moment they need West Indies to go the go the whole hog to come and tour they need Pakistan to go the whole hog at some stage they're going to need South Africa to come and tour you can't just assume that you can waltz into these countries and and ride roughshod over whatever regulations exist and then say oh well I'm not quite happy with how, you, how you've done it I'm off and expect them to to scratch your back money does talk ultimately but you know the economics of international cricket is such that you know, the big three do rely on the little seven, the little eight, to to keep their coffers full. So you know it, it does it does actually work both ways here, and I, I I do think that England probably should have bitten the bullet and just got on with it. I mean, the other thing I suppose is um, the, the the two environments that they've been in so far was the the English environment, which is sterile to the point of a vacuum. You know, going going to the Aegeus Bowl and 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 uh, um, Old Trafford with with their you know, all the players, West Indian, Pakistani, English, have all been grumbling about the fact that, you know, it was it was difficult to get away from the cricket because you'd open your window and there was the pitch you'd played on yesterday and got your duck on. You can completely understand the mental health issue. But on the one hand, they go from that bubble, then they go to the UAE for the IPL, which frankly is, you know, the most sterile country on earth. They're now going back to real countries, real countries that have got real issues and real people doing real things. Like South Africa is a very real country. Than the announcement of the England itinerary to go to India. I mean, that's going to be a real country. Are they honestly going to expect that India's protocols are going to be completely watertight at every step of the, of the journey? Of course they're not. Are they going to grumble? Probably not, because there's more money involved in that one. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think it, they probably could have played a more politic game, uh, frankly, just for the sake of getting the tour done. And leave, you know they only left this morning. They were always due to fly out in this chartered flight on on Thursday. Um, why not get out in the open air and do some exercise and fulfil your obligations? It, it's what they were there for, even if uh, even if they have been put through an awful lot of hardships in the course of the past five months. Ferdes, I'm I'm sure you're delighted to learn that you live in a real country. Um, <laughs> there, there was a, there, I mean, the UAE anywhere is real, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> 
real there was always <laughs> too real indeed yes uh, we've had a lot of reality in in um recent times um I mean, there there was always going to be um, a bit of a hit here, even if England had stayed and played, sort of squeezed in two ODIs in, in sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, which was one of the working plans. Um, the, the fact is that there were there was a positive test in the South Africa camp on Thursday last week, and then there were uh, then there were positive tests at the hotel as well. So the, they wouldn't have fitted in the whole series. CSA would have, I guess, had to have taken a little bit of a financial hit on that. Um, but is there, a, you know, is there a sense that maybe I think the Doctor Mandra had referenced kind of the, the way the Premier League has worked, uh, the football Premier League that is uh, over in England. You know, if, if a player tests positive, they just get taken out, they get put in a hotel, or, or, or go home for a couple of weeks, and, and everyone just sort of carries on. Um, is, is there a sense that England could have been a bit more flexible in that regard? I think so, especially among the Cricket South Africa administration, and also that the bubble was created in such a way that people who were testing positive and we had two South African players test positive, were removed immediately. And then supposedly their close contacts were either due to be tested again to make sure that, I suppose, they were not positive. But we also know there's a delay. You know, you could be infectious but not show up positive for up to, I think it's seven days after you've been perhaps contaminated. So that wasn't being followed in that Cricket South Africa was saying the players had been social distancing and that nobody was in close contact with the players who had tested positive which just doesn't seem plausible if you consider that they had a braai on one of the evenings and I've never been to a braai where people sit two metres apart. I don't think such a braai would be, would be very fun. Um, and I just, I just don't think that we were always kept in the loop as to which protocols were being followed, which ones they were allowing to relax a little bit. But yes, definitely there is a feeling that England maybe shouldn't have been as alarmed as they were. I suppose having those two hotel staff test positive, knowing that they worked in different areas of the hotel and didn't come into contact with each other, but also knowing that there were hotel staff who were coming in and then going back out of the hotel and not staying on site. And they had a green zone and a red zone. So the green zone was for hotel staff who would come into contact with players and those staff did stay at the hotel. And then the red zone was for staff who would not come into contact with players and those staff would come and go from the hotel. What's unclear is whether red zone people and green zone people mixed, which would then I'm sure result in the green zone people mixing with the players. And I think that, that CSA have not really been able to trace this and not able to say, look, this is the reason that we think this may have happened, has left some unanswered questions. I think golf has come up, which I've already mentioned, as definitely a reason for, well, a lot of the, what may be the issues. Um, but I also think that in, if more cricket goes ahead this summer, Cricket South Africa are going to look at stricter protocols. So just for example, the Sri Lanka series is due to be played in Johannesburg and they're looking at a venue called the Irene Country Club, which has a golf course on site. So I don't know, golf seems to be a really big deal when it comes to cricket tours. And so people will be able to play golf, tennis, squash, balls, PlayStation, whatever they want to do at the Irene Country Club and not have to leave. So I think that will need to be looked at. What we don't have here in South Africa, like you guys do, over in the UK is grounds with hotels attached to them. So I think the closest we come is probably Kingsmead, where there's a Hilton Hotel a little bit across the road. Still, you have to walk across a road. And then Potchefstroom, which is the student ground and the student campus. And there is accommodation there. But let's be honest, nobody wants to go and stay in Potchefstroom for a prolonged period of time. So I don't think that that's going to happen either. Um, and at the moment, I think it's just 
an amalgamation of stuff that's happening in South African cricket. You know, the administration isn't working. Nobody's sure what the transformation targets are. Uh, cricket isn't happening. There isn't any kind of indication as to when this fog is going to lift. And we've been in it for 18 months, perhaps more. Um, I think it was uh, Winston Churchill who said that uh, golf is a good way to spoil a tour. Um, <laughs> Miller, the, uh, the, uh, uh, is there a sense that, I mean, it, it, it sounds as if England were, as, as Ferdo says, kind of negotiating a bit of um, lassitude on, on the uh, protocols and so on. Um, and and, uh, and the, Dr. Mandra suggested that the ECB, in a way, had been a victim of their own success because of the summer they had, you know, kind of immaculate um, record, apart from Joffre Archer's detour home, but, you know, no, no positive tests and so on. Um, and, and as you say, they're now in the real world. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I think you know that 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 is the issue. They've got to take it with a pinch of salt. They've got to accept that you know life does go on, and you know we've we all all of us are doing our best to try to mitigate risk at the moment. That you know I I put my mask on to go to the shops, but I don't stop going to the shops. I have to keep existing. My girls are going to school still, so you know there's still there's still risk out there. You 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 can live in a bubble clearly because England have been living in a bubble for for five months, but. At the same time, if you stay in a bubble too long, the air runs out, and 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 you know, I I think there has got to be an acceptance that a degree of flexibility is is not just essential but inevitable, and um, yeah, England did magnificently at incredibly short notice last summer. It was an it was an unmitigated triumph, but we are already seeing the the issue of burnout, the issue of mental issues that that you know, Joffre Archer was talking about very candidly in the summer and we've already seen a host of guys um pulling out the uh, banton and and curran and co pulling out of the big bash because they've just realized that, that this is unsustainable this is unsustainable you know we, we we know it's unsustainable because this is what the ecb were talking about um right on the very day after the uh, the blast finals they, they had a sort of um half an hour zoom call with the media in which they sort of paraded themselves and like the final scenes from the Lord of Rings and, and, you know, basically, basically very self congratulatory half hour of aren't we wonderful, but, but frankly they were, but even then they were admitting that next summer has got to be different. We're not going to expect India to come over here for, for five tests and live in the Aegeus bowl for, for three months. It's just not going to happen. There, there, there is going to have to be flexibility built into the way that cricket operates henceforth and um you know this is this is just a this is just a you know it's unfortunate that this has come on top of a period of absolute and unending chaos in the cricket south africa and it's it's almost a too too convenient to to say that it's uh, that south africa lost control england lost their nerve i don't think that's quite the same thing as 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 everything failing i i i, I you know i wasn't there i'm not going to pretend that i I, I was privy to all of the all of the the chaos that did uh, did unfold, but it didn't look as alarming as perhaps England have made it out to be in their in their haste to leave the country. Put it that way. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a balancing act, isn't it, between kind of understanding that COVID is now part of everyday life and 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 also being in a foreign country and facing the prospect of maybe 10 days of, of quarantine in a hotel room when you were hoping to be going home to see your family at Christmas and so on. Um, Ferdo's, Miller's saying kind of this is unsustainable, 
but South Africa are going to be hoping that they can sustain it for the next few months, and they're going to be trying to reassure um, Sri Lanka in the in the immediate term, and then Pakistan and particularly Australia thereafter that um, everything is fine and dandy, and please come and tour our country and and make sure we can um, get some money in our coffers. They have to. I mean, cricket South Africa's financial position is such that if they don't have cricket at home this summer. The losses they'll be they'll be staring at will have to result in job cuts, will have to result in pay cuts. And they've had neither up to this point. So, you know, the peak COVID period or the peak of the first wave of COVID period took place in winter, which I think really helped save Cricket South Africa. But the second wave, which we're officially in now, will take place in peak summer. And so that is a major concern. I think, um, you know, a Sri Lanka tour doesn't make Cricket South Africa that much money in any event. So... Whether it will be a financial boon for Sri Lanka to come, I'm not so sure. But I think for the sake of having cricket over the festive period, you know, they desperately need Sri Lanka to come. The other thing is the test team hasn't played since January. They don't even have a captain at the moment. So just to kind of get things going in that department, they don't have any World Test Championship points, I don't think. Maybe they have one from that win against England, which seems like a lifetime ago in Boxing Day 2019. Um, but Australia is the big one. And I think Cricket South Africa will be loath to go and play those matches in Perth. Although I think if there's no other way, then you might see that their, their arm will be twisted. I think getting Australia here, and Graham Smith was talking about even getting fans into the grounds, which I, I think that, that that's not going to happen, you know, definitely not if the infection rate is going the way it goes. Of course, we want fans in the grounds because, you know, what happened last time Australia were here and you really need the fans to kind of get behind the South African team and uh, sort of go and really irritate the Australian team. So I think I would love for that to happen. At the same time, I can see a situation where those matches take place either in Perth or in the UAE or somewhere else, and where maybe we don't see much cricket in South Africa. The Pakistan series comes right at the end in April, and that will be after South Africa would have already toured Pakistan, hopefully. So if that happens, then I think the the reciprocal kind of will tour you and you'll tour us will take place, hopefully. And then it will be for South Africa to prepare for the T20 World Cup. But a lot has to happen between now and then. You know, for the first thing, they've got to get an AGM going. They've got to appoint a CEO. They've got to get a permanent board. They've got to get a test captain. They've got to heal their relationship with the South African Cricketers Association. So th- there's really a lot. They've got to restructure the domestic competitions as well because, you know, that's bleeding money. They're all unsponsored. The four-day competition, the one-day competition, the T20 competition. South African cricket just isn't making money at the moment. And to rectify that and to rectify that quickly is going to take an extreme amount of work, but also it's optics. You know, you've got to have cricket. You've got to see the team actually playing, hopefully relatively not badly, although, you know, on the evidence that we've seen so far, I don't know. And uh, it's just looking, I mean, I'm sounding a bit sort of gloomy, which I don't want to be. So let's change back (laughs) into something more cheery because it's just looking like too much is working. (laughs) It's not like you, Ferdos, with your own personal rain cloud um, following you around. My my only suggestion would be for whoever does tour next, avoid avoid the barbecues, you know, at the first team meeting. Not a bright idea. Um, Miller. uh, (laughs) That's That's the worst bright pun I've ever heard. (laughs) Had to get it in there. Let's move on. Miller, um, England's naughty boy nets at Newlands. How how big of a, an issue was this? This is a suggestion that kind of they broke their own protocols to, to go and have a, a net um, at the ground in, in a part of the ground they weren't supposed to be in. Was this, is this a kind of a, a, 
another serious issue or, or a bit of tit for tat kind of going on in the background? Well, it, a bit of both. I think it's probably more more tit for tat than anything else, to be honest. Although it was interesting, the the vitriol of England's response to that 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 leak was, you know, they're saying that the the facilities they've been given was unacceptable. I mean, it's they they may maybe they weren't weren't the best nets going, but again, we're we're in the middle of a pandemic, guys. Things things are not actually as as perfect in in the world as 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 you might like to think. And you know, if if you're uh, you know, strip number seven, eight, nine on on the Newland Square isn't quite as good as the main test strip. Then that's not exactly a surprise, frankly. Um, so I don't know. The vitriol of the response made me think that yes, that that that's an that's an angry riposte to a bit of a cheeky leak that probably shouldn't have shouldn't have been leaked to our to our esteemed correspondent lurking there um it was a very good story and obviously it got picked up by all the papers because obviously that 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 occurred the morning that the the tour was called off so it almost felt like the final straw frankly if there had been any doubt that england were going to pull the plug uh that story and the and the the fact the mudslinging had already begun was probably enough for Owen Morgan, who's a who's a, he's a strong world chap at the best of his times. Probably enough for him to say, "Sod this! I'm packing my bags and uh, see you on the flight." So, um, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I I'm as you as you probably gathered. I'm I take it all a little bit with a pinch of salt. It's not it's not you know. I I don't want to sound like a grumpy old man who thinks it was all better in better in the old days. But it's not actually that long ago that England cricketers would go on tour. To somewhere like Pakistan and stay in a biscuit tin in a biscuit factory in Salcott. you know, it, it, it's it is not beyond the bounds that 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 cricketers have 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 got a little bit too used to everything being laid on for them and the onset of a pandemic and the and the the fact that you know people do have to make plans on the hoof a little bit to adapt to circumstance. Perhaps there needs to be a little bit more sympathy for the planners as well as as the people for whom they're being planned. Um, but that's not to say I must put it on record as well. I, it's not to say I don't have sympathy for England because there's, as you mentioned earlier, the the notion of of if those two pos- those two positives had turned out to be positives, and you know the, the two guys had been forced to stay back after the charter flight had left and possibly spend Christmas in isolation in South Africa. I mean that's that that's unconscionable. You don't want to have that situation forced on players. So yeah, there is sympathy, of course there is. But there's also, I think there needs to be a, there has to be for the sake of the world's cricket's economics, there has to be a bit of acceptance that you know we're only we're only ten, eleven, twelve nations all trying to rub along, keeping the keeping the show on the road. It doesn't take. You don't want pariah states. Um, taking out massive pegs from from the the economics of the whole game, frankly, do you? No, indeed. Um, and after the dust had settled on on the uh, the Western Province uh, Cricket Association's communications furdos that ended up in your inbox, um, it was a joint statement between the 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 two boards um, that you know they they'd agreed to. to um, postpone the tour because th- these games will still be played as part of the World Cup Super League. Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, if you look at the schedule coming up, especially for England for 2021, it's difficult to see where you'd find another window to fit these in, you know, considering that you've also got a quarantine period before that needs to be fulfilled and that there's a lot of time away from home. But of course, South Africa will be hoping that they'll 
matches will take place in the next four-year cycle because that's how the finances are calculated. So I think it's a balance between, obviously, they want the opportunity to compete for points in that World Cup Super League. But at the same time, they need the money to flow in in this four-year cycle. And they've already lost the money from the India T20s, which were scheduled for August. And these were matches that weren't on the FTP, but Graham Smith and Sarab Ganguly had negotiated for these three T20s to take place in the hope of giving Cricket South Africa a financial boost. August was the height of the pandemic. And so it was never really going to happen. And then in fact, those fixtures were removed from Cricket South Africa's budget. So considering that that's happened, that there's no Mzanzi Super League this year, and I was chatting to some people earlier in the week and and kind of the thought is that we may not see an Mzanzi Super League again. You know, we may resort to some sort of franchise competition in the future. And that was also bleeding Cricket South Africa's coffers because they weren't able to sell television rights for that. So considering, you know, they're not getting money from India, they're not going to be then spending excessive money on the MSL. They also didn't spend money flying the team to the West Indies earlier this year. So maybe things will start to even out a little bit, especially, and, and I think a lot hinges on the broadcast deal that is due to be renegotiated in April. So that's with the pay television provider, Supersport, who are pretty much the only people who are running live cricket in South Africa because the only other broadcaster is the national broadcaster, the SABC, and they can't afford anything really. And they you know, then get the, the broadcast rights from Supersport pretty much for minimal cost. So Supersport need to be convinced that South African cricket is, is worth paying good money for. And just to kind of give you an idea of what Supersport have done in the last few months, They've bought two ESPN channels, which are now being shown on, on Supersport. So that's bringing American sport to South Africa. And we haven't had that for a very long time. And they've spent a lot of money there. They've also decided to sponsor the our Premier Soccer League. So that's a lot of money going into, into something as well. And obviously, Supersport only have so much money. So there's already talk that that deal will be a third less than what Cricket South Africa will want. And then depending on the team's performance, it could end up being even less than that which will obviously be hugely problematic. So I think financially, cricket in this country really needs to think about how it can structure itself so that money doesn't just flow out of it without something coming back in. And so that means the domestic system needs to change, which I think it will. Um, that's sort of going quite far away from your original point, I suppose. Um, but I guess that that's the only, that's just the way we're kind of thinking about things now. Yeah, it's all connected, isn't it? Um, world cricket is uh, uh, still a house of maxed out credit cards and that's before you get to to covid um, and all the associated nonsense um miller uh, b- before the bubble trouble there, there was a t20i series played out in a less feverish atmosphere um i mean david milan had a had a whale of a time and England, England won that series three nil. Um, that sort of suggested that the the T Twenty World Cup plans were were coming together. Um, South Africa had a less enjoyable time back on the field, but I mean, we should talk about some cricket as 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 that's what the tour was all about. Um, what did what did you take from from the T Twenty series? I was I was very impressed. Actually, I was very impressed. I mean, you can you can say that that South Africa weren't playing very well but I would argue that they played pretty well for pretty much 19 out of 20 of their overs and then in each of the games there was one over that um, that got completely out of hand and that was that proved to be the difference but um, so yeah I thought England were given a good test by by a team that that, that did it did its best in invidious circumstances but you know compared to the build-up to the World Cup the the, the four-year 
four-year run of, of, of barrelling form that they, they produced in 50-over cricket, it, this has been a bit more written on the back of a fag paper, the, 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 the way that England have gone about getting their best team. I mean, it's an incredible stat that um, in a, England's three gun players, Stokes, Archer and, and, um, and Butler, had played 21 times together. Uh, but 21 of those for Rajasthan before they played for England in a, in a T20. So, you know, getting England's best team together has been has been tricky. This was, uh, you know, I think Archer himself has only played four T20s before uh, he took the field and, and, and produced what he can do. Uh, but England are looking like a proper unit, aren't they? I mean, it's I think there's still an issue over their extra bowler are they are they going to trust tom curran and 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 jordan to be the the the, the finishers or is there scope perhaps to get an extra spinner in there and and trust stokes to be more of a more of a, a bagman with the, with the, with the seam up because uh, certainly when you got archer leading the line and and rashid bowling magnificently as well um you've got two incredibly solid pegs in in your bowling attack and you've also got a batting lineup that is just incredible form. I mean, Milan, you know, Milan's, um, he kind of reminds me of what Johnny Bairstow had to do to break into that 50 over team. Remember Bairstow, there was over, over Morgan's dead body was Bairstow going to get a gig when, when Hales and Roy were England's uh, preferred uh, one and two. Uh, but then remember in the Champions Trophy, Jason Roy's form fell off a cliff, familiar tale here as well. And, even even in the midst of England not quite getting it right, the Champions Trophy, Morgan refused to budge until that fateful final game at uh, Cardiff when England uh, lost on a turner, uh, lost on, a, on 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 that that scruffy pitch in Cardiff. But the fact that Bairstow came in and produced the goods in adversity there, and then carried on producing the goods, and then carried on producing the goods, he he made a case similar to what Milan is doing now. It's like you may not want me in your side because you've got your preferred lineup, but such is the expectation and the and the standards that England are setting. It's going to take something extraordinary to break into that. And and Milan is producing that at the moment. I mean, he's on course to to break records held by Chris Gale and Virat Kohli for the fastest man to you know the, the fastest man to um, thousand runs in T twenties. And you know these these are these are big names and 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 big big reputations that that he is he's living up to. Frankly, it, it it's it's still. Still a small case study. I think um, I think Wisden have got a, a separate calibration of of worth in uh, in in white ball cricket in T Twenty cricket, and instead of being number one in the world, Milan's rated about number eighty eight. I think, but uh, so you know, the, the, you know, he doesn't play in the IPL. He's he, he's not. He's still not technically a an automatic pick for England. But if he keeps churning out the runs and and you know living up to the the pressure of everyone pointing at the fact he's got eight from ten balls and oh if he gets out now England are screwed and then he just wears that pressure like a badge of honour and smashes three balls for six um it, it, he's 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 walking the walk and in fact it was interesting to listen to Joss Butler he spoke during the series and he spoke about funnily enough he, he referenced the West Indians rather than Milan although Milan is it was the guy who's who's playing most like the West Indians at the moment he was saying that you know, I can afford to have a slow start because I trust myself to hit the next two balls for six, and suddenly my runner ball twenty one is is um, thirty seven from twenty three, which is far healthier. So um, I should have got my maths wrong. But you know what I mean? I always get my maths three wrong. Three sixes. You've given him three sixes. Three sixes. Or, yeah. You know. <laughs> so um, you know, it's um, 
England are doing the right things at the moment. They've got they've got a year to get it to get keep getting it right. And you know, it's not quite as simple as as it was in the build up to the World Cup when you know everything is is geared towards that that one trophy. They do have the small matter of the ashes looming at the end of the year, not to mention 10 tests against India between whiles. Um, Joffre Archer has already said that, you know, he's going to... He, he's already committed that the ashes is, is one of his goals, which is good to hear because I, I was starting to wonder whether he, he, was, he was wavering on that front. But if he's committed to that, then he's going to have to take breaks somewhere else, which may be one-day cricket, but it may also have to be the odd tour here and there I mean we've got a squad announcement for Sri Lanka tomorrow he may not be on that so you know England might not get the get the their best 11 out in any format permanently in the coming 12 months and that, that's not just because of pandemics that's because of Twin Peaks um, but when they do get the best 11 out I, I've been pretty impressed with it On that is David Milan unequivocally in the best 11 to, to your mind I mean he, he there's, a, there's an edge there isn't there uh, uh, um, sort of every a pronouncement that he has to make about his position in the side. He joked about not wanting to turn down a single, which left him 99 not out in um, Cape Town in that third game. Um, be- precisely because he knows that people will talk about the bye he didn't take in Napier or wherever it was um, the winter before. But um, he- he's not going to s- speak confidently about it. Uh, you know, he's not going to um, uh, count his chickens and so on. But would you have him in England's first 11? Right at the moment, I would, yes, because he is producing the goods and he is precisely that, that sort of edge of, of nervousness, sort of positive nervousness I think this team needs, just to be kept on edge. You know, the last thing you want is, to, is, for the, is for the situation to feel as though England have their favourites and they're not so favourites and, and near the twain shall meet and therefore the moment they've got a full bench available... Milan gets the heave-ho. It's not that simple. If Milan is producing the goods, it's got to be Jason Roy who's feeling the pinch. It's got to be Johnny Bairstow if he doesn't come up, come up with the goods, although clearly he did in this series. They've got to be other people. I mean, Joe Root's already been squeezed out. There are all sorts of guys who are still battling to get a, get a look in. There's people like Sam Billings who can't even get a game at the moment. So, yes, I would have him in there because he is... If you don't have Milan in there on this form, it sends completely the wrong message about what England's priorities are. Are we... Are we rewarding people who are consistently producing the goods, or are we just going to say, you know what, I just I just don't like you. I, I'm not. Gonna, I, I'd rather I'd rather have one of my mates in. That's that's not that's not what uh, that's not what this England team need. They need they need they need a bit of grit in the oyster and, and a bit of a bit of reason to to keep having to push their their boundaries higher and further. Uh, well, it went pretty well, that series for England. Ferdos, you began um, the tour, we, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was Black Lives Matter, it was whether South Africa would take a knee. Um, in the end, they did They did uh, make a, a late decision to uh, come up with an anti-racism gesture. Uh, and then, I mean, you were writing about changes to transformation targets through, throughout the series as well. I mean, we can talk about the cricket if you like. We can talk about South Africa's attempts to find their their best T Twenty Eleven. But um, uh, yeah, what what were your what were your take homes? I suppose the balance of the of the side was always out because their two all rounders were unavailable. So Dwayne Pretorius was injured for the duration of the series, and then Andy Lepikapayo unavailable for selection, and then David Miller was also out of contention. So they were always starting out without a first-choice 11, and it resulted in this lopsided thing where they had to pick six specialist batsmen and five specialist bowlers, which doesn't sound so bad in an 11, but actually they, they found themselves one short all the time, and it was usually in the bowling department. 
So I guess from a cricket point of view, uh, Josh Linder was very impressive, making his T20 debut at his home ground. And he is actually an all-rounder. I think maybe there's a hesitance to classify him as such because he's bowling left-arm spin and South Africa likes spin bowling all-rounders. So they tend to think about spin bowling all-rounders as, I don't know, bits and pieces kind of guys. Works but, for uh, Shakib El Hassan, doesn't it? Yeah, well, there you go. Um, but he, I think he was really impressive. Uh, Faf Duplessis' form was also encouraging and, you know, he's sort of said that he wants to carry on for as long as he can, which maybe even suggests the 2023 World Cup's not out of the question, although he was due to be rested for the ODIs. I think some problem areas we saw, someone like Lungi Ngidi, who's really just not come back to form since being injured last summer, and although he did quite well in the in the white, white ball games against Australia earlier this year, that seems like a lifetime ago, so there might be some concerns around that. Uh, I didn't get good comeback from questioning of Quinton de Kock's captaincy and uh, people don't, don't seem happy with, with what, you know, somebody kind of wondering whether it's all becoming a bit much for him. And I think maybe just to kind of clarify that, I'm, I'm not suggesting that Quinton de Kock is a bad captain because he's Quinton de Kock. But what I'm saying is that he's got a lot of things to, to think about when he's on that field. One of them is transformation targets. So the series began with the team being told they needed to field at least three black African players, not two, which was the case previously. And we saw that in action when Anrik Nokia, before the first T20, had been bowling on the practice pitch uh, with Kakisu Rabada and Biren Hendricks. And then two or three minutes before the toss suddenly kind of disappeared. Lungi and Gidi, who'd been chilling the whole time, then came and marked out a run-up. And South Africa there fielded a team with Kakisu Rabada, Lungi and Gidi, and Temba Bavuma. Midway through the series, the interim board then overruled those targets and went back to last season's targets, which was six players of colour, of which a minimum of two must be black African. But we never got to see that in action because the ODIs were cancelled. At the moment, I don't think we are that sure what the targets are. The interim board have said that they will be relooking at transformation and they will be coming up with new ways and new measurements. So I feel like we're still going on the, the six of which two must be black African, but I guess we'll see when South Africa play cricket again. And that's tricky because you're now balancing a team where you're missing some players for COVID reasons, you're missing some players for injury, and then you've also got to build in your transformation targets. It's going to be quite difficult to balance an 11 on those grounds. So that is more kind of what I was talking about with with where Quinton de Kock is struggling. To be honest, giving Heinrich Klassen an over to Ben Stokes, I don't understand why he did that. And one hopes that we don't ever have to see Heinrich Klassen ball in international cricket again. Um, you know, that, that was something which we could question. I don't know yeah. how anyone can take offence at the notion that, that, that you might query Quinton de Kock's captaincy credentials. I mean, I, I, I was on the Zoom call that I think you wrote your piece after, after, after he'd been talking and uh, it was just... I mean, I've got an awful lot of time for him as a cricketer, but I mean, given given what South Africa need at the moment, they need some. They need an, they need a Graham Smith in insofar as they need a a figurehead, a guy who can absorb the pressure coming at him from every angle and not flinch, even if even if you know you may not agree with everything he does as a, as, as a tactician. You can't argue that 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 the slings and arrows bounced off him. The slings and arrows were embedding. In Quinton de Kock during that during that press conference, I mean Neil Manthorpe, I think it was, asked him asked him a question. Quinton, I don't mean to be rude, but are you are you enjoying this or worse that effect? And he, he basically just he couldn't he couldn't admit he's not because he's in an invidious position. But he yeah. doesn't look like a man who who has any interest in the issues that are going to define his reign as captain. 
Absolutely. which is Absolutely. which is not a good look when you when when your 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 career is going to suffer as a consequence because he is a magnificent cricketer, magnificent multi-format cricketer, let alone let alone T Twenty, and I worry that they're going to cramp his style if they keep forcing him to front up and answer questions about transformation rather than get back to just thumping the ball as hard as he can because he's what he's one guy i mean joffre archer again the, the mvp mvp in 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 the in the just just completed ipl was asked the other day who's the diff- most difficult player in the world to bowl at and he said quentin lecott every time he's the one guy in, in the world game who's capable of standing standing in line to archer's body to body bounces get inside the line of it and hoik him over fine leg for six yeah. every ball. He do, he does it time and time again. He did it in the IPL. He did it again at Cape Town last week. He's he's he has got techers that deserve to be celebrated purely for for what he is as a cricketer. I I'm I feel very sorry for him being paraded not very eloquently to try and answer very difficult questions about where South Africa is at the moment. I, I don't think it's fair, frankly. Yeah, and I think also probably, Miller, what you're you're speaking about points to a bigger issue in that there isn't a candidate putting their hand up saying, I should be the captain. Maybe Rassi van der Dissen is an outside person that we can discuss in this conversation. Like I said, the test captain's due to be announced. There there will be transformation pressures around that. I think if that ends up being the, the criteria which swings it, and I don't think this will happen, then maybe there's a case to be made for Keshav Maharaj, who earlier said he wanted to captain South Africa in all formats. But, you know, I, that will be... <laughs> we'll be having a very different conversation if that was to take place. So I think the, the other thing just worth noting about Quinton Dukak is so he wasn't part of that exhibition 3TC match which was held over the winter, which came at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mark Boucher also wasn't present on that occasion. And, and neither of them, actually, the coach and the captain, have come out with a strong statement about BLM, which I think is is really concerning in areas and, and sections of the South African community. So, you know, we started this series talking about what's going to happen with the knee, and there were all sorts of reasons around players not wanting to take a knee, including, I believe, some sort of religious reason. And we, we haven't actually got to the bottom of it. But then what happened in the end was a big banner, and it was only at Newlands because the banner was unable to be transported from Newlands to Powell. And so it was just at Newlands where the banner said, you know, we stand against racism and gender-based violence. And they, you know, we're currently in the middle of 16 days of activism against violence against women and children, which we have from the 1st to the 16th of December every year. Obviously, our GBV rates are, are pretty high in South Africa. So they kind of put these issues together. And I think people were, were getting concerned that one issue was being pitted against the other. And it was like, well, if we stand for GBV, we can't stand for racism. And then they put them together. And then it became, you know, a little bit confused as to what they were actually trying to say because they also had black armbands on for the 22,500 people who died in this country from the COVID-19 virus. So I'm just not sure the team really knows what it's trying to communicate. I think maybe they know what they're communicating internally and they're quite strong in saying, we know who we stand for inside, which is fine, except none of us are inside that team camp at the Kruger National Park. And so if you're representing this country, you've got to come out and tell us what it is that you stand for. So they've got a, a whole summer to do that. <laughs> Let's see whether they do or not. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, if uh, there are players going in and out of the bubbles and so on, you might stand a chance of being called up by the end of the summer. So you, you find out um, from within the dressing room fellows. There's, I mean, we mentioned no test captain. That is South Africa's next um, challenge. It's, it's Sri Lanka, who um, the last time they toured became the first Asian team to win a test series in South Africa, I think. Um, they're not going to give it to, 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 to De Kock, are they? Um, no. But who might be in charge? 
No, so definitely, well, I want to say it definitely won't be Quentin de Kock because that's what Graham Smith said in winter, but things change, as you know. Um, I think the, the standout candidates at the moment are Dean Algar, who is probably also the only person who's sure of his place in the team. Aidan Markram, who's come back to form. He scored 300s in the Red Bull competition. Temba Bavuma, who has led the Lions to the first-class title last year, is also the only black African batsman on the scene, has great maturity. And although runs haven't come for him, he certainly shows a, a level of authority and gravitas when he speaks that suggests good things. I guess an outside candidate, Keshav Maharaj, who said he wants to do it, but I think very few people think he actually will. Um, and those are probably the four, maybe Rassi van der Dissen, you know, he's come into the conversation a little bit. I guess he hasn't been around that long. So... Yeah, I think those are the four, and hopefully we'll find out before Sri Lanka arrive. I mean, that would be ideal, wouldn't it, to know who your captain is before you play. Um, but I guess we need to know where the Sri Lanka are coming first before maybe they'll just have a good few more months to think about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we should find out quite soon because they are due in the country, um, what, in the next uh, week or next so. Next week, yeah. Um, and Miller, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye, an eye on that series from here. England's um, next commitment is against Sri Lanka, uh, assuming they're not delayed from their departure uh, from South Africa. Um, there's not much of a, a turnaround there between the end of, of that tour and Sri Lanka having to host England um, a few days later in mid-January. Um yeah, England obviously back to Test cricket after a, a bit of a break, um, and there's this India schedule that's that's just been uh, announced for kind of February March as well. So um, there'll be plenty there for sort of Joe Root to to get um, stuck into as the the man we know will be captaining England. Yes, indeed. Or well, we don't know who's going to be opening. It's an interesting conundrums. Um, we've got Rory Burns potentially missing some or all of the tour because he he wants to attend the birth of his child, which obviously Root himself missed uh, the first test of the summer to to do to do likewise. So um, I'm sure England will um, be very sympathetic to that. Although the Sri Lankan authorities may not be so sympathetic if if they if he wants to arrive late or leave early, that that may be problematic. So. Uh, we'll have to wait and see quite how that pans out because um, England's England are due to be spending three days in isolation uh, and then five days of contained training in Hamburg Tota ahead of the first test on the 14th. Um, so it all depends on the time frames of the birth and, and the willingness of the Sri Lankan authorities to, to, to um, allow him into the country later or, 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 or early as the case may be. Um, but we've got some um, other issue, Johnny Bairstow possibly getting recall, which um, he's already pulled out of his uh, his big bash deal. So that seems like a fairly telegraphed uh, recall in place of Ollie Pope, who's still not quite right after his shoulder injury. And um, Joffre Archer, I suspect, as mentioned earlier, he, he might well be missing out, which... Um, Again, you look back at obviously it's not England's last tour of Sri Lanka because the last tour was the one they, they they had to abandon midway through a tour game because of the pandemic. But the last one they actually completed um, was very much a uh, it was a three spin attack from England. You had um, Broad and Anderson were basically taking in turns to bowl about three overs per match. Uh, so it's no place for fast bowlers, let alone ones that you want to try to be your ferocious spearhead across formats uh, all the way through to the end of the Ashes next year. So. I think Archer is due a break. I mean, he obviously uh, has had a little bit of a break with him le- leaving the tour early after the T20s. But um, England have got to they've got to tread carefully with him. I think uh, his comments after last summer 
the bubble lifestyle and certainly compared to his comments about how much more he enjoyed the IPL is sure to cause a few alarm bells with England that they, they, they realise they've got a man who is in such demand across the world for every franchise going uh, they don't want to they don't want to drive him out by expecting too much from him frankly I, I think they've got to be careful there uh, but yeah test cricket bring it on I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gagging for a bit to be honest it, 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 it uh, does feel like uh, a rare treat at the moment, and you know, as I think I've mentioned before, it's the, the 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 pandemic has certainly sort of the scarcity of of international cricket has has increased the value when it does crop up, and and you know the the lack of the lack of Test cricket to get get to uh, get my teeth into means I'm really looking forward to both this and and frankly uh, the Boxing Day Test, which I'll be covering on the ball by ball, assuming it goes ahead. Um, Kusal Pereira returns to South Africa with any luck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, lots to unwrap. Plenty, uh, plenty of Test cricket to look forward to in the new year. It'll be it'll be spin to win uh, for England, which is uh, perhaps never a good thing. Um, and World Test Championship points uh, wherever you look. Right, I think we've we've done our, our bit uh, for one day to uh, repair the diplomatic relations between England and South Africa. It's time we left the switch it bubble squeaky clean. My thanks to Ferdos. Uh, good luck with the summer to come. She's been filing stories uh, even as we chatted. Um, and to Miller, uh, our appreciation to you all for tuning in too. Feel free to rate us and leave a comment on your preferred pod provider. We'll be back for more soon. In the meantime, you can keep across all the latest news on ESPNCrickInfo.com.